Walking to Fuller Speed Ahead, I'm Craig Fuller here with Kelvin Beecham, an offensive tackle for the Arizona Cardinals and also a big uh, investor in early stage technology companies. Kelvin, how are you today? I'm doing well, Craig, man. So great to, to see you again. Uh, great to spend some more quality time with you. So excited about this opportunity. Yeah, likewise. Last time we were together was right when COVID, uh, I think it was actually pre-COVID days. You were in Morristown, New Jersey. We had lunch there and you were headed out to Arizona that evening. Uh, how has how the adjustment going from New Jersey to Arizona been for you? You know, first and foremost, uh, the weather is a lot better. Uh, on this side of, of, of the country. Um, in Jersey right now is snowstorms that are continuing to, you know, hit the, the Northeast. And out here it's the mid seventies and clear skies. So um, Arizona has been good to me. Um, it's been a place that, you know, I've been here for a couple of years and it's just nice to actually be here a little, a little, a little longer than, than just the off season. So, so Calvin, uh, you've been invested in Freightways for a couple of years. You were one of our earliest investors but one of the things that was striking when you and I first met is how you approach early stage technology investing that's different than what most folks that are in professional athletics do. Can you talk a little bit about your strategy? You know, for one, you know, when you think about founders, you think about markets, you think about what investors are striving for, they're striving for differentiation, they're striving for the edge, or they're striving for their competitive advantage. Um, and for me, I felt the competitive advantage was to be contrarian to what most athletes love to look at, love to invest in. Most athletes love to do media, love to do um, sports tech, um, you know, hair and beauty. Um, those things are fine. But for me, I wanted to be different. And I have, you know, a couple of those companies within my portfolio, especially early in my journey. But I found that it was better to be contrarian and find markets and industries where we're not in and where we can't add value and where we do have, I wouldn't say expertise, but we have a different frame of mind and we have a different uh, perspective that we can bring to the table. And I would say as I've continued to spend more time in the earlier stages, it's that perspective that founders from, from different you know, categories and different industries enjoy. Um, and I think that's what you know, drew me to, to Freightways and what's drew me to some other companies within the transportation industry is the fact that it's a very archaic industry to some senses, but there are also ways in which those categories are being redefined. And as a young person, being young, how can I be a part of the revolution that's happening in, in some of these archaic industries? Okay, well, what do you look for when you, when you back a founder? What type of companies uh, are what is it about a company that really gets you excited? You know, first and foremost is the relationship with the founder. That is the number one thing that, that I'm most concerned about, that I'm most um, uh, aware of, because if that relationship with the founder isn't there, it doesn't matter what the money does. Like, you, it's, it's, it's about, you know, yes, it's about returns, but at the end of the day, you still want to have social capital that's invested in the relationship. So that's the first thing I look for. The second thing I look for is culture. What, what is the culture that is being built by this particular entity? Um, and I was fascinated by the culture that, that Freightways was building. And then thirdly, you start to get into what is their differentiation as a company, the category that they're going after, the industry that they're going after. What's their differentiation? And how do they separate themselves from the, from the market? How do they create barriers to entry? How do they build a moat around their company? 
Um, if they're, you know, all about taking on market share, how do they take on market share? Um, as they think about acquiring customers, how are they thinking about acquiring customers? What's the, the long-term value of the customers that they're trying to acquire? And really starting to dive into what makes this company tick. Um, and for me, those, you know, that those three concepts are kind of where I started, just in the infancy, pro the, the infancy stages of being able to develop a rapport and a relationship with, uh, with the founder and with the companies that I'm wanting to back. Kelvin, you spent some time in Silicon Valley uh, actually working for some VCs. Uh, talk a little bit about how uh, what you learned there, what you experienced there, you're applying into some of your the startups that you're investing in. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, a couple of years ago was was privileged to go out and spend um, a significant amount of time with a, with a prominent venture capital firm on, on Sand Hill Road. Um, stayed at the Rosewood right across the street from some of the some of those firms and literally will walk across the street uh, to those firms. And the number one thing that I really wanted to be able to, to understand was just how, what was the flow and the process of how this particular organism, this entity, this particular system worked. You know, being in a locker room is one thing. It's, it's, it's nothing but guys that are in an NFL locker room. There, there, there are no other um, people that are really allowed in a locker room. Even a GM, there's very, it's very rare that the GM ever walks in the locker room. It's literally the players, and that's the only people that are allowed in the locker room. The coaches, it's very rare that you ever see a coach ever walking through the NFL locker room. Um, and it's one thing to know what's going on in that locker room, but how do I understand what's going on within a different organism and a different um, organization, a different entity? And especially considering, you know, this was one of the, the most prominent, and still kind of one of the most prominent venture firms, is what makes them tick? How are they successful? And why are they successful? What are the processes that they have in place to be successful? How do they think about hiring? How do they think about promoting from within? How do they think about building that culture? Um, and, and how do they think about uh, the decisions that need to be made? You know, understanding what an investment committee is, understanding what a, what a partner meeting is, understanding uh, the different facets of a, of, a, of, a, of a pitch meeting and how, you know, within a pitch meeting, you have all these different people with different perspectives around the table with different expertise and what they provide to the conversation. So for me, being able to see that firsthand and be able to spend time with, uh, with GPs and, and partners and analysts um, and principals and associates, that was impactful for me, especially early on in my development as an investor. Um, and I think, you know, I can't say thank you enough for, for just that opportunity because it's not many people in general that get a, a hands-on um, under the hood, if you would say, look at some of these venture capital firms. They see them in the media, but they have no idea what's actually going on behind closed doors. And for me, that was a, it was a really special opportunity. Yeah, especially one of the premier firms, uh, I mean, a household name, and, and, and you had the opportunity to be there, seeing behind the curtain. But I'm, I'm curious, you, you know, you're a very successful professional athlete. Uh, you, you obviously do quite well uh, for yourself and your family. But startups are a difficult road and investing in them is different than, you know, putting capital into the public stock market and into private equity. Why startup investing specifically over alternative assets? Yeah. You know, the thing is, is, is there was a point and I would say it took a couple of years. I would say it took six years before we got to the point, you know, as a family, uh, confidence from a financial advisor, where he felt, all right, Kelvin, here's here's a small pool of the capital that you've acquired over the years that you can now go and allocate and, and go work on your passion. And, you know, that's a conversation that happens a lot with athletes is what 
what is that next step? What is the next chapter of your life? And for me, th this was a chapter that I felt I wanted to invest in, not only um, from a mental standpoint and, and, and energy standpoint, but also put capital to work. And that was a conversation that I had with my financial advisor. We finally got to a point where um, he felt that I was ready to go in and, and start doing that. Uh, but I would say one of the biggest things that I, that I tell a lot of folks is, you know, they say, well, Kevin, you, you're going into investment startups. It's very, it's the most riskiest asset class out there. Well, I, my, my, um, my counter to that is, well, if I'm spending time with the experts in their particular category, who are the experts in that category? I spend a significant time with the experts in, in that category that have the track record that speaks. And then everybody loses. Everybody has a dud and, and, and. You know, everybody has those. There's nobody batting a thousand. But if they're, you know, batting 250, I mean, it's, it's, they, they're doing all right for themselves, you know? So it's one of those things where I'm, I'm mitigating risk by spending time with the, the best in class in their, their particular category. And I'm not going to say, hey, I know everything about every single industry or um, I've made the best investments and my portfolio is the best. No, 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 no. I spend time with the best with the experts and not experts by what somebody quotes them in, a, in an article, quotes them in TechCrunch, quotes, quotes them in, in Forbes. No, it's what do the returns say? What do the numbers say? Um, the, the quantitative value on what they've brought to their firm, what does those numbers say? And those are the people that I want to spend time with. And that's how I'm able to spend time in you know, the startup you know, ecosystem, being able to, to, to put money to work in this particular ecosystem, because I'm wanting to spend time with the best. And I'm not going to say that um, I'm investing in companies that are off a of paper napkin. I I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not there where I could back a, a company that's, that's fresh off the press. They just wrote it down. I'm, I'm not there yet. But I like to wait until the company has, has had some traction, uh, been able to prove out some KPIs that they put in place for themselves, um, show, you know, being able to get from point A to point B to point C. And then let's see what, what that looks like and, and, and how I can get involved in the value that I can add to the company. Kelvin, do you get involved before there's institutional backers, or are you looking for that validation after an investor, a professional investor, has done some diligence? You know, I've, I've done both. You know, I've been in companies, and I would say maybe seven companies where I was, um, I was never first money in. I'm never first money in, but there were times where I was early into a company before they got the validation of an institution. And those companies were truly when I had deep, deep conviction about the founder and the problem that they were going after. And then there have been other instances where I really enjoyed the founder. I really enjoyed the market that they were going after. I helped syndicate the round. I helped with fundraising, helped with introductions, helped with customers, you know, helped with finding the lead. And then I put my money in after the, the, the institution had already done. You know, I, I feel great about it, but it was great to also get validation from an institution, you know? So I've done it both ways. Um, and I'm not going to say one is right or one is wrong, but I've had the ability to do it both ways. Um, I've done a couple companies that are free product and free revenue. They've done well for me. I've had companies that um, were late stage companies, you know, that were Series C and Series D. And those same Series C companies were rated by the FBI. So I've had the, the, the mix of you know, having some really good ones that I've made great decisions on or great choices on it. And I've had some later ones that, you know, just didn't pan out and just didn't do what they, they, what I felt they were going to do. So, 
you know, there there's a balance that I think you have to have, especially as a as an individual who's deploying, you know, either capital personally or capital from a from a family officer's perspective, that you're flexible. And I have some boundaries. There are some things that I, I love to see. I want to see. There are stages in work which I want to get involved in the company. But at the same time, there are there are some 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 use cases and, and exceptions that afford themselves and it's either you can optimize and, and, and be able to capitalize on that opportunity or you can let it pass you by. Elvin, there's a, a lot of data out there to suggest that professional athletes don't typically uh, manage their money as well as, as other folks. Um, what, what do you think the challenges are? I mean, when I met you, I was just blown away at the level of diligence uh, that you did on our business uh, and you knew you were as knowledgeable as any venture capital uh, firm that I had met at that point in our time uh, about our business. I, I'm curious, that felt different than the typical stereotype you, you hear about. Where do you think the, is that stereotype deserved or is there something different that people just, are we seeing a change in that? You know, I, I think that some of the, um, some of the thoughts and concerns with some of those stereotypes are warranted because there have been instances where guys have lost money. Um, guys have not been diligent about the people that they surround themselves with. Um, but I would say the, the positive way in which to look at that is that guys are becoming more educated and realizing they have more leverage and realizing that they have access to um, influential people that can help mitigate some of those risks and be able to direct them in a, in a much better path in how to utilize their money. Um, so I think that both scenarios in which you've, you've brought up are warranted. Uh, but I would say the latter is what I'm, I'm really excited to see because you see NBA, WNBA, um, uh, women's soccer, men's soccer, lacrosse, uh, um, NFL. You see all of these, these, these folks and all these different athletes that are really taking hold of their career and being able to, to leverage it, um, and leverage it in business, leveraging it in politics, uh, leveraging it in, in media and entertainment, and finding ways to buck some of the, the stereotypes that have been associated with uh, athletes. And I would say specifically um, NFL athletes, there's been uh, a change, I would say, um, and a change in mindset, honestly, that has really um, made athletes more aware of the pitfalls, because you've seen it. Like, you can't see some of these things that have happened over the last 20, 30 years and say, that can't be me, that's never going to be me, but not do anything to make sure that that's not you. So it's, it's guys realizing that this is something that is real. Um, there are sharks and there are bad actors that are out there, and your job is to be able to decipher which one of those sharks and which one of those, those bad actors are out there. So I think that the ownership has been put more on the guys to actually do the diligence on the people they surround themselves with. Um, I think guys realizing that you can be more patient um, and every deal that comes across your table, you don't have to do. Um, and then I think lastly, guys realizing that if you do it collectively and you start spending time with other peers and, 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 you know, in your group, you realize that those same bad actors, the same sharks have been around and there were people that told them not to work with them. And now, you know, people like myself were telling these young guys, Hey, there's this, this, you don't work with this person. You don't work with this person. Hey, be, be careful about how you're thinking about this or, 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 or consider this as you're thinking about some, some planning that you're thinking about. So I think there's a community and, and, and young people willing to listen to one another and listen to peers to be able to make better decisions, uh, better decisions around how they manage their money, who they're spending time with, 
who they're uh, allowing to manage their money and realizing that you need to be the person who manages your money as far as you knowing where the checks are being cut. You're not giving power of attorney over to a financial advisor or to a CPA or to an agent. And those conversations are being had more regularly within the locker room. So, Kevin, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in sort of broader technology. Um, the, the folks that are getting venture capital have typically been on the coast. They've been typically white males. Uh, there's a movement of uh, investors looking for more diversity, uh, both in terms of gender diversity, uh, diversity geographically, as well as diversity in color. And I'm curious, are you, as you think about uh, what you're seeing, are you seeing a movement of there? Or are, are more founders of color, more founders that are not in uh, the coastal cities coming across your investment portfolio? They are just due to where I come from, you know, where I came from. I came from Texas. I'm, I'm, I'm a country bumpkin at the end of the day, man. Uh, so I resonate with people very much like yourself. I mean, you're not in the coast. You're not in New York or, or San Francisco. I understand what it's like to live in the South. I've been in the South. I got friends that are in the South, I, you know, classmates that are in the South. So, yes, get deal flow from, from Texas. Get deal flow from Jacksonville, Florida, because that's where I play that. Get deal flow from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I played at Western PA. Um, you know, New York is what it is. But I think, you know, just due to some of the circumstances and 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 teams that I've been a part of, I've been exposed to so many different cultures. Um, and also just, you know, being a black man, I've I've been afforded the opportunity to see deals that come across my table from other people who look like me. So for me, it, it hasn't been um hard to see. Uh, the deal flow that comes from from people of color, uh, but the question is is how do you make sure that that's seen up and down the stack? Like how do you make sure that allocators are are people of color? Um, how do you make sure that fund managers are people of color? Um, and that's something that is is starting to be um, something that's talked about within smaller silos, but I think it's starting to be you know start to be brought to the to the forefront. You think about what's going on with the New York Stock Exchange and how the New York Stock Exchange is making sure that uh, boards um, have uh, a woman or a person, or I think they're working to have a person of color that's also a part of that board as they as they go public. And for me, what I'm excited about is, man, is to see companies that are outside of the coast in general be able to get funding. And it's not just concentrated in San Francisco and New York. But now you're seeing, you know, bubbles pop up in the Midwest, in Indianapolis. You're seeing... You know, things pop up in Atlanta. You're seeing things that pop up in Chattanooga, in Nashville, um, in, in Durham, North Carolina. Um, you know, you're seeing stuff in, in Austin. I mean, even though Austin is now, I would say, the 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 kind of the, the, the new California of the South in, 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 in a sense. But you're seeing all these different little small hubs starting to pop up um, that are outside of kind of the traditional coast um, that are building phenomenal companies. And what I love about it is most of these companies are staying, I want to say that they're staying stealth, but they're staying low key where they're literally just building. And then, you know, people see them with a $500 million or a billion dollar valuation. It was like, how, how does this company do this? And it wasn't in the Valley. They were able to have great MPSs with their staff and with their, with their associates and with their employees because they, they love working for them. They got more bang for their buck. The margins were better because you had the cost of living that wasn't astronomical. So I think that there's a move to, to want to be able to, to back founders in, in, in you know, different geographical locations. I think the remote 
working is something that I don't know if it's here to stay, but I think it's something that is being used and, and, and can be used at scale if it's, if it's done the right way, if a founder is willing to build culture the right, the right way. But I also think that, you know, people are realizing that there are some amazing founders of color that are doing really well. You know, you think about the founder in, in Atlanta that started the company Calendar, um, that's doing extremely well right now that everybody is using in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, was started by a black man down in Atlanta. Um, and this is some amazing companies that are doing some amazing things. You got people in healthcare that are doing some amazing things. You have, you know, uh, Morgan DeBone, who's built a, a, a huge tech conglomerate around kind of black media, a company called Blavity. Um, so you've seen companies that are continuing to, to thrive in this environment, even though they're not in the coast. You know, I think about a founder, um, uh, DeVars Brown, that started a company called Maroxa around uh, a cloud-based um, services, which I think is a, is a fascinating industry because you really don't see a lot of black people in some of these, these high-tech uh, arenas, the inter enterprise B2B services or business intelligence or cybersecurity or, or, or IT or transportation. You just don't see a lot of black folks in, in this particular arena. I think about a, a, a woman named Sarah Meeker who just um, raised a monster round with a company called Grow Intelligence. And, you know, for me, this was fascinating because, you know, I got, I got cattle back at home uh, so she's around uh, uh, crop insights, um, understanding the, 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 you know, commodities and things of that nature. So it's, it's, it's diversity that's starting to bubble up. Uh, we need to celebrate it. And, and were there times to support, um, you know, uh, allow that, that opportunity to happen? And I would say, give a huge shout out to you, uh, allowing, you know, me to be a part of, of, of Freightways because, you know, I don't know how many black folks you got a part of the cap table, but it was an honor to be. Uh, a person of color on the cap table, because that's a role in which um, the entire ecosystem has to play as well. Yeah, we, I mean, we do have, we're, we're honored to have you, Kelvin, and I, I've learned a lot. Uh, we, we have a uh, African-American board member. Uh, we have a, uh, uh, we have some folks of color, but certainly uh, not enough. We would love to have more diversity. It is challenging being in an industry, which is, as you mentioned, um, you know, it's an industry that's most of the management's, you know, white males. And it's challenging as a, a white male CEO to figure out how to be effective to reach people of color and be more effective at being inclusive, because that's important as we think about how we do a better job. What, what advice would you give for me to, to attract more folks of color uh, in our ranks and, and really become an organization that invites diversity? You know, I think first and foremost, I think it's finding ways to partner with some of the folks that are already out there. Uh, I think about a company like Cloud Trucks. I don't know if you've ever heard of them um, out in the valley, you know, ran by uh, people of color. I think it's finding ways to just just have conversations and let 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 them know that there are allies within the industry. Uh, I think about a, a founder by the name of Brittany Annex, um, who was formerly at Flexport and is getting ready to start on her next gig. It's being able to have conversations and letting her know, hey, that I'm an ally. Um, and I think that goes a lot further than, than, than many people think is just being able to, to know that you have allies uh, from different walks of life and different ethnicities that are just there to support, whether, whether you're frenemies or whether, you know, or, or whether y'all are working together on a partnership. I think the ability to know that there are people from all walks of life that are here to support, especially within the ecosystem, you understand it as a founder, you understand that this journey is not easy by any means. And to be able to um, have somebody call you and reach out to you and just say, and, you know, I'm, I'm here to support you. If there's ways in which I can be helpful with, with what we're doing here, you know, that goes a long ways. 
I'm glad you mentioned Grow Intelligence. Uh, actually, I've, I've had the chance to uh, meet Sarah uh, over phone, not in person. But when we were originally sort of uh, building our data product, Sonar, we actually looked to her and what she did with Grow to, to we were inspired by, by what she was doing around agriculture. It's impressive, man. Um, I mean, I can't say enough to, to be able to have that type of data, that rich data that stretches across the world. Um, and when I met her, they were in a, a small WeWork um, there in, 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 in New York. Um, can't imagine what the office is now and how big the staff is. But, you know, to be able to, to, to go into the commodities industry, to be able to provide a resource for the agriculture industry, um, that is absolutely essential. Because um, I would say that agriculture is another industry that is somewhat archaic. Uh, the people that are in it are much older. Um, I was actually talking to a farmer yesterday going, he's down here outside of Yuma in El Centro, um, you know, California, um, in, in Imperial Valley that's, that's building a, a farm. He's a young dude. He's, you know, 37. I'm like, man, let's get together, man. Let's, let's talk because the, the, the farming age is, is pretty high. So to be able to find other young people in that particular industry for me is always fascinating. But back to Sarah, she's young, she's vibrant, she's diverse, and you just don't see that. And to be able to know that it's not that she's diverse, that she's attracting attention. Her product is legit, and the company is ripping. It's legit, Kelvin, and I tell you, their infographs and their brand design is, I, I, we, I still look at that in awe of how well they describe what's happening in the market. So it's, uh, it's uh, I think it's an amazing, uh, what she's built there is an amazing enterprise. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the journey and, 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 and what Are you comes an investor? From, but I'm really excited about it. Are you an investor in growth? <laughs> I wish. Not yet. I, I've, I've you, been staying in touch on a regular basis to, to make sure that if I get an opportunity to put a check into the company, I do. But that is one that I'm really excited about and I've been following for some time. All right. If you get the book and they're raising, you let me know because I'm in as well. So. Uh, Calvin, we'll, really, hey, we'll do. I got you. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Calvin, appreciate your time today. Uh, really, always great catching up. Best of luck in the uh, off season, uh, and uh, we'll. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much for having me. All right, appreciate Calvin. Thank you for tuning in to the uh, Global Supply Chain uh, Conference. Here, got a lot more coming at you, talking about the intersection of supply chains, freight, and the global economy.